0: You are listening to "Fed by Ravens" with Matt and Adam.
1: Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 239 and 240 of talking through the Bible. It's good to be here. It is good to be here.
0: Uh, what are we doing today? All right, you're uh, gonna. You just want to take a day off? Okay.
1: Let's just take a day off.
0: I don't even want to. Actually, this is so exciting. I do want to talk about it. but uh, Are we going to do our Battlestar Galactica spin-off podcast, <laughs> Finding the Gospel in the Stars? Oh, man.
1: That sounds not interesting to me at all. <laughs> Find a geekier friend, bro. All right. Here we yes, go. Just quote it. Okay. I know. I know. I did a lot of things last episode, but only you remember that part, Matt. The uh,
0: the rest of everybody else was uh, connecting to the Lord. Okay. Huh. Our Old Testament reading for today is 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through chapter 33, verse
1: 20. Everyone turn with me to the book of Hezekiah. Okay. Okay, go ahead and find Hezekiah chapter 6, verse 16. Wait, where? No, wait. There is no book of Hezekiah. Where is it? That's a classic pastor joke. I'm just trying to catch everybody up on maybe some of the Christian culture that has passed you by and will never be mentioned again. <laughs> Turn to the book of Hezekiah. It's a great late eighties pastor joke. There is no uh, book of Hezekiah, but we are at King Hezekiah in Chronicles. And there's a reason though I realized today why people even know Hezekiah because he was a good, he was a darn good King. Let me tell yeah. you, he really turned around those, those bad years of Ahaz. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Uh, Temple is open, back open for business.
1: Beyond being open for business, it's getting a facelift, y'all.
0: Yeah. It's getting a facelift. Things are good,
1: and Hezekiah spends, I mean, essentially, these chapters are, he cleans and dedicates the temple, he restores the festival days, like and Passover, mm-hmm. and he reinstates all the temple service jobs. He brings jobs back to Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, he really just r- is r- undoing all of the work that... Uh, Papa Ahaz did. Yeah. But I, I'm
1: overwhelmed. During the first part of these, you're overwhelmed by the administrative skills. Hezekiah is a beast. I mean, mm-hmm. he just gets in there. He knows. I mean, it goes into great detail, um, which will kind of highlight some of the things that I, that you think are cool. I'll tell you the things I think are cool. But, I mean, he goes into great detail, thinking, and just the organization and the administration to bring these things back. But the things that, of course, I'm a musician, so it, that hit me are just realizing how he re too. He gets these yeah. Levites and the priests, mm-hmm. but for musical things. So as he, um, well, actually, before he even does that, I liked how it took eight days. They have to go in and, to the temple, mm-hmm. and you have to clean. It's been an awful, awful destructive party in the temple for many years.
0: And then, and then it's been closed for most of Ahaz's reign.
1: So they go in there, and it's all old and gross, but there's idols. There's, like, Mm -hmm. actual idols in Mm -hmm. there. Things are desecrated. There's been looted. If there was spray paint, you know, they were writing little Hebrew curse words or something in there. I mean, it's been, like, the worst. (laughs) It's, like, it's been abandoned. Yes. And so it takes eight days just to clean out all the gross stuff in there, and then another eight days to kind of consecrate it, right? Yes. So I saw it as two cycles of creation, creation, two eight-day periods. But then that's where I, I liked. He gets the Levites with all their symbols, harps and mm-hmm. lyres, and then um, there's this thing about the priests who are blowing trumpets. Mm-hmm. But then when you look into that, there's 120 priests.
0: Yeah.
1: So imagine even if you're just playing one note, how kind of magical that is to have 120 120 person trumpet choir.
0: It's yes. like bur,
1: bur, bur. It's just overwhelming. But that's the nature of what he's doing. He's, he's reestablishing the glory of God in the place where God said, I'll put my name, I'll put my eyes, I'll put my ears, I'll put my presence. You've neglected it in a physical way, and mm-hmm. I'm restoring that.
0: Yeah, and I love he even restores like the musical line. So like, yeah. the, the three families that were within the line, uh, Asaph, Heman, and Jedithon, uh, he restores them and is like, you're back, you create music, you uh, rework out the songs that David and all your fathers created, and we're going to play them again, and we're going to make this temple great again.
1: It's so cool, though. Like, even with music, the mm-hmm. organization and the order that's required. So most of us think of music as, like, an artistic, I want to I wanna play the flute, Dad. Mm. It's like, no, we play trombones in this family. And um, and so we kind of deal with, sorry, I just made that that's up. That's great. I, yeah. We deal with, finding expression in music.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: they see it almost as a military family thing, which the deeper you get into music, the more you realize. Like, so when I play with our little band, there's sometimes I just go like this.
0: You know, it's like playing Mm -hmm. the
1: triangle. And it does become very orderly. And you are, if you want it to sound good, you do the one thing. Now, I definitely want to be going like... If I do that, it's not going to sound right. You have mm-hmm. to do play your part, and so it's just cool to think, even on that level of music, the least important to mm-hmm. all this really is equally important in its creative order. Yes. So he restores that, and then um, and then uh, there's a bloody mess too. Like yeah. then he starts doing the sacrifices, and there's a lot of sins to be paid for.
0: Yeah, and they're throwing blood all over that altar,
1: and they don't even have enough. Like uh, I don't know if it was. Is this where they? There's shame on the um, the Levite. No, shame on the priests, because so many of the priests are not consecrated and ready to do this.
0: So the the Levites apparently were uh, more zealous and like ready to get back into things, and so they re-consecrate themselves early, and then the priests are kind of slow to get it all done. So the Levites are having to help out with the priestly duties until all the other priests arrive and come back. Arrive and get in. Getting reconsecrated to the Lord.
1: And so you have to picture these Levites and priests, though, as burly dudes. hmm Because these guys are, like, slaughtering animals. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot of muscle.
0: Yeah. And
1: there's violence in it. You know, I mean, there's, like, it, these are not, like, uh, meek, mild-mannered mm. men. These are guys who are ready. And I
0: think of a butcher.
1: Yeah, they're butchers. hmm And so, anyway, they get it all ready, but it does make me think. You know, when you first start a big project and you haven't done it for a long time, there's just all that confusion of like, what are we doing? We're not ready. Uh, And so the rules to how things are usually done are kind of uh, suspended by the grace of God Yes, because uh, they're moving towards God. And that's the grace that we experience right now. If you're moving towards God, that's good. Mm -hmm. Just realize some of the things you're doing, moving towards God are not in the right order and not actually all that good. But your heart's moving towards him, so God has mercy and grace. There will come a time when you realize, oh, I need to stop doing this. I need to do it this way. God says, you know, like, oh, give some money. Oh, don't be um, a fornicator. Yeah. <laughs> like we're happy you're moving towards God, and we're going to suspend some of these rules because of grace. But as you move towards God, he will start to order your life the way it's intended to be because that's mm-hmm. where you get maximum life, and that's what God's all about.
0: Yeah, so... Um, around this time... I'm trying to get the timeline figured out right now, but...
1: Because I'm going to chapter 30. Yeah,
0: because... So, right around this time, or a little bit before, Israel has been overtaken. Yeah. Or uh, by Assyria. So, a good amount of them have been taken by Assyria at at this time. And so, Hezekiah wants to reestablish the Passover festival. And so, he actually invites the re- the remnant of people in Israel to come to Jerusalem for the Passover so celebration.
1: this is the first time all these kings always have dreams of reuniting mm-hmm. the kingdom and being the best king ever, right? Yes. The problem is there's always a... Like when the, the Judah king, king of Judah wants mm-hmm. to bring everyone back, he kind of forgets there's a king in Israel who isn't really excited about giving up his power and uniting. Right. Well, now... This is the first, I feel like this is kind of gentle and loving. Mm -hmm. Hezekiah does it not from a sense of, let me overwhelm and take over and let's be stronger. He's saying, hey, you guys have been thrashed and decimated. I'm going to invite you back to what we had during the time of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Come back and celebrate the Passover. Come
0: back to the heart of worship. Yeah.
1: I'm coming back to the... And so it's it's actually really shocking to read this because it's like evangelism. Yeah. But it's not to the... Lo- they're lost <clears throat> because they are the people of the Lord away from the
0: Lord. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're going back to the people of the Lord. And then I really secretly... It's like a... Um, what do you call it? <sighs> Secret pleasure. or oh, what's, what's that phrase? I can't remember of it when it's like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, 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 The guilty pleasure here for me is he sends guys back to invite them to the Passover. Mm-hmm. And the people in the north who have nothing... They laugh at this invitation. They Mm -hmm. scorn and they mock. And so he just gets a few people from some of the weakest places, like Asher and Manasseh. Yeah. Yeah, like the tribes that are like totally been gone. They've been out of the scene for a long time. He gets very few people to come and do it from the north. And the reason it's a guilty pleasure for me is because I always just like to think that the reason I see so few people and receive so much scorn and mockery... It's because something's wrong with me.
0: Right, right.
1: But the story of our people and the story of evangelism mm-hmm. is simply an invitation to be reconciled, yeah. and it is often met with little traction, some mockery, and much confusion on the people who are inviting.
0: So this actually reminds me of a story Jesus told, one yeah. of his parables about the king yep, the sen- banquet. sending out uh, an invitation for the people to come to the banquet and they all have something better better to do. And so then he has to get uh, anyone who will come, so people from the streets and anyone. I kind of wonder if he's just straight-up quoting this story.
1: The more we read this, the more we realize (laughs) everything Jesus says has a total double meaning. So now I'm even thinking about that parable. The original audience is going, why do you keep calling us the weak north? We're Jews. We're from Judah. Yeah that parable is not for us. And Jesus is like, oh, it isn't? Oh, really?
0: Yes. Anyway. Yeah, fascinating. So, so
1: they a few come back, but not mm-hmm. a lot. So again, it remains elusive to try and u- reunite the north and the mm-hmm. south. And in fact, the north is pretty much gone. It's slowly uh, being ransacked and taken away to Syria.
0: And uh, so they... They do the Lord, or they do. Well, I just call it the Lord's Supper, but yeah. uh, the Passover. It's a good. Uh, but they do it in the wrong month, <laughs> and the not enough priests are consecrated, and not the people are not properly consecrated. But Hezekiah prays for all of them, saying. May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanliness.
1: This is what I'm talking about. Yes. Because, okay, as pastors, um, maybe you're not familiar with some of the verses that Paul talks about. Is don't we, we talked about it in Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Don't take the Lord's Supper unworthily. Yes. That... There's certain things to come to the Lord's Supper. You have to come with your hands in the air saying, I surrender. I need your help. Uh If you come in a different spirit, then you could bring judgment on yourself instead of uh, forgiveness. And so as a pastor, sometimes you wonder you're giving the Lord's Supper to people and you're trying your best to make sure they understand what this is about. And so um, I feel like sometimes I've given the Lord's Supper to people who don't fully understand. Maybe they're not even repentant. But I can't get inside their heads and know for sure. Yes. And they're not saying to me, I don't believe in God. I just want to do this because it's a cool thing to do right now. So I have to take it. But I do pray, Lord, I know that there's some sin in this person's life. Lead them to repentance. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and what I'm saying is there's grace. We try our best to, to do it all the way God prescribes, which is come to the table understanding that you're set apart and consecrated. I feel like that's what's happening here with Hezekiah. He knows according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy when things are right, you can't just show up. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you can't be with your wife that day and then come into the temple like right, there's right. because we're in the right mindset of God is here. Mm-hmm. These people are just moving towards God for the first time in a long time. So there's a lot of grace even in the Old Testament. Yeah. Like Hezekiah breaks the law. By the grace of God,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and I love it. It says, "And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people." Yeah,
1: and then it reminds me of Jesus, our King, when we're sinning every day, and then but then we're coming to Him, saying, "God, help me. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I sinned." Jesus is doing this same prayer on our. He's our good King and saying, "God, have mercy." And God's like, "I hear you, Jesus, and I'll have mercy on your kingdom and on your people."
0: I think, uh, don't they also? Doesn't he? It's, like, for seven days, but then doesn't isn't this where he extends it for another seven?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's doing, Yeah, like,
0: he does. He's like,
1: let's keep it going! And f- everyone's like, yeah! It's a strange fire <laughs> sale. <laughs> for this week only. Strange fire is okay! Yeah, and, I mean, it's just... It's, it's pretty great, though. I mean, I just love finding the mercy of God yeah. riddled. I mean, the whole thing is about the mercy of mm-hmm. God when its king and its people... Submit to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I think the rest of Hezekiah's story, because we're going to see that highlighted even more with uh, Manasseh, but we'll, we'll save that for Manasseh. What else happens with uh, Hezekiah? Oh, Hezekiah. You know how, um, I mean, in the story of Hezekiah, they get straight up messed with mentally
0: yes. by the
1: king of Assyria. Yeah. So I was trying to do the math and figure out. Uh, it says... The Syrians, us Syrians, are coming now to take over Jerusalem. Yes. But Hezekiah plans ahead. I mean, he plans everything ahead. He restores the wall. He shuts off water. Yeah. So they don't think there's lots of water in this land. Mm-hmm. He redirects water. He rebuilds buildings. He gets everybody, like, suited up for armor. And then he gets the morale going, like, mm-hmm. saying, here's who we are. Here's what we believe. We are the people of God. Don't be... And it's like he was perfectly prepared. I was like, how did he know? Like, I, in my mind, a siege is like, surprise! Mm-mm. But I realized... Assyria is working their way down.
0: Israel's been taken. And yes. um, if he heard anything from his father, is yeah. don't trust the Assyrians. Don't trust nobody. <laughs> That's what he said, right? right? That
1: was the uh, wristband that yeah. was passed down. Don't trust anybody. And so he gets everybody ready, and it's a good thing because the Assyrians show up, and they these verses are like the most haunting verses in terms of personal insecurity <laughs> because it's like they straight up say don't trust Hezekiah. He's trusting the Lord, but look at our track record. All yeah. we do is defeat everybody's gods. Yeah, This is Assyria.
0: Yeah. We've only ever defeated their gods. And it sounds like he's killed off all the gods in your land. So I don't know what why you guys are trusting him because right. uh, he's doing everything backwards. And
1: if you put it in our language, it's someone saying, I'm going to give a tenth of my income to the Lord, yeah. to a church. And I'm just gonna give it to the Lord. I'm not gonna be like, How are you using it? What are you doing with it? I'm just gonna give it because the Lord has made me a generous person and given this to me. Mm-hmm. But then in your mind, the accusations are, you can't afford this. Yeah. How are you gonna make you should pay all your bills first and then give it to the Lord? And then maybe not 10%. That seems a little excessive. Also, and the church why are they isn't doing using it Yeah, it, right. it doesn't, it seems right. like the pastors yeah. are getting paid too much.
0: Yeah.
1: And you get all those things. And thank God, Hezekiah. And Isaiah.
0: Isaiah's with them, yeah.
1: they Their response to this is, we're going to trust the Lord. Yeah. I know, it seems crazy. Trusting the Lord seems crazy because everybody else is trusting in the false gods yeah. that come and go. But we're going to trust the Lord. And then they cry out to God. And what happens when a priest and a king cry out to the Lord?
0: The Lord fights for you. That's it. I
1: mean, it's almost like predictable now. Yeah. The Lord fights for you. And how does the Lord fight for you? No, duh. He sends an angel. Yeah. and To literally do it without you.
0: Yeah. Confuses their army, gets them all worked up so that they have to go home. And I love he, uh, Sennacherib, goes. Is it Sennacherib? The, yeah. That's a cool way to say it. I
1: always say Sennacherib.
0: Yeah, whatever. Um, Sennacherib, Sennacherib, whatever. Who cares? Seriously. Uh, so he goes back into his temple back at home. As he enters into his temple for his God, his sons pop out of behind the curtains and stab him in the back. (laughs) (laughs) You failed us, dad. And then the kingdom is kind of split for a second because the sons are now fighting for control. That's, um, and saves Hezekiah and Judah.
1: So remember the first time hearing about an angel fighting for the people of the Lord, you're like, Oh, that's really cool. Now I'm getting overwhelmed by the regularity with which God (laughs) fights for his people with an angel, an army of
0: angels, just doing it for you. Yeah, I just do it for you. You show up and... You show up.
1: I mean, that is the thing. Show up, look to me, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll fight and sometimes you won't, but I'm always going to be with... Whatever you do, whether you go in or go out, I'm going to be with you. And more... It almost feels like... I mean, a lot of times he just has the angel do it. I thought that was... I love that because I personally will just go, Lord, I need you to fight for me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And he has and he will. Well, Hezekiah suffers from humanity, which means the P word creeps its way in. (laughs) Do you know what the P word is, Matt?
0: Pride? Pride,
1: good. I thought you were going to try and be funny and say something gross. (laughs) Um, It's pride. And so even Hezekiah gets hit with the pride hammer.
0: Yeah, so um, first king or second king's kind of covered his sickness a little more thoroughly, yeah. but he was sick, was going to die. Praise the Lord, the Lord heals him, and then he kind of shows off his whole thing to the Babylonians, like all of his treasury and everything, because he wants to show the Babylonians how great he is. Yeah, and the Lord's like, come on, you shouldn't have done that. But right. he does humble himself, and the Lord decides not to punish him d- during his lifetime.
1: That's right. And I would say Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings after David and Solomon. Yeah. He yeah. would be like number 3. I mean, the
0: Bible 30.
1: says that. He, he did mm-hmm. a really good job, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, as he's watching, like think about in light of Israel being, he's there during the years of demise. And it's so cool. I've never thought about it. When I read about this stuff in the past, it's like, oh, Assyria attacked Israel and it's over like in two weeks. Mm-hmm. But realizing this this takes years because yeah. you're only doing it during the springtime.
0: Yeah,
1: you do what you can, and it's like over a period of years, you're watching Israel slowly be um, turned into uh, from a Kmart to a Target. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: I know what you mean. You know what I mean,
1: Mark? Ah, real so, estate. Real estate. Am I right? <clears throat> so,
0: so it's interesting because Hezekiah was what fifty-two years. Is that what we decided on?
1: I think he got 29 years.
0: Oh, he got 29 years. Okay, okay. So he got 29 years, and Manasseh ends up... With 55. ...taking the throne, 55, but he's 12 years old. So he starts. there's no way Manasseh was, like, his firstborn. Dude, Manasseh starts
1: to rule Judah when he's in seventh grade. Yeah. (laughs) Think about that. I know. It's his seventh grade year. So think about any seventh grader you know. My daughter's in eighth grade now. So I think Grace last year started ruling... So it's all about who, who's influencing you. Um, but he apparently, Manasseh is like the worst. Yeah. When you read his list, everything from like actual idols in the temple, yes. idol worship everywhere. Again, he burns his sons. He offers kids to these gods. Mm-hmm. It, he uh, has fortune tellers, sorcery, mediums, necromancers, all in Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, in the temple.
1: Totally evil all the time.
0: uh, He
1: becomes more evil than the surrounding countries that don't know God at all.
0: So the Lord quickly (laughs) ends that.
1: Yeah, he's like, okay.
0: So he he sends Assyria, and Assyria comes this time, and there is no crying out to the Lord for help. So Assyria takes him and leads him away with fishhooks. So Uh, whenever
1: you hear the word or read fishhooks, just know this is how you would take away people captive. You'd put hooks in their mouths.
0: Yeah, mouths or nose. And
1: hook them all together and lead them out in a parade of conquered, uncomfortable, hurting people.
0: Then, this is unique to Second Chronicles. Yeah. Uh, Kings did not talk about this. But apparently, while he was in exile, Manasseh cries out to the Lord. I know. So apparently, some of the good work that his father had done, I feel like this is the overflow from Hezekiah's oh, so faithfulness.
1: A, a child will not forget his upbringing, yes. even though he spends most of his life running away from it. There was a moment where he repents. I found myself kind of frustrated with this story, almost like the older brother and the prodigal son, because I'm like, Manasseh ends well?
0: Yeah, so, so Manasseh cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears him and restores him back to Jerusalem. He's taken back to Jerusalem re reestablished as king and he cuts down all the altars that he made and reestablishes uh, the temple worship and worship of just God.
1: Manasseh was scared straight. Yes. He like he um, he repents. So here's the idea. I I don't think we can I don't think there's a bigger story about repentance than this one. No. The king of Judah goes the opposite direction and then says, God, forgive me. And God hears him and is merciful and restores him. If Manasseh can be forgiven. See, I don't like it on one level. Like, oh man, it's not fair. But I love it on the other level. Like, Lord, I have strayed. I have gone away from you in this area or in my life. Mm -hmm. And repentance truly is the most powerful thing you can do on earth. It changes everything. You want to change everything in your life? Confess, repent, recognize what you've done, and trust the Lord, and then you get forgiveness and restoration.
0: Yeah. So I I love it because one I feel like it speaks to the Lord's faithfulness yeah. to uh, from father to son, and and then also this is one of the few stories where it actually ends well, where yeah. where almost all the other kings who started off great don't end great. Right. They end up fallen apart at the end of their reign whereas this guy started off his reign in a very bad place in the worst place and ends his reign true to god amazing
1: so i feel like uh, hezekiah says hey we're doing the best we can god have mercy Mm -hmm. and then manasseh's like uh repent repent trust me guys just repent sooner the better yeah great Sorry, I,
0: was, I just wanted to play a little bit more, but huh. i got to focus here. Yeah. Our New Testament reading for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse
1: 11. So I was reminded of something yesterday. We had this big meeting with pastors, mm. um, and we were talking about worship, and the word hallelujah came up. And the first part of hallelujah is halal, halal, Mm -hmm. like the Hebrew, and it means to boast. And then the yah, hallelujah, is boast in the Lord. Lord. It's just kind of cool to remember that. Um, And I want to say that I heard it from other pastors, so you don't think I have all these things in my head all the time. (laughs) Um, But when we get to 2 Corinthians, Paul starts off about boasting. Mm. And so it's the halal, and he's saying, for our boast is this. And he has to say this because the Corinthians church has been divided, but then they were upset. Some people were upset from his first letter. Yes, and so um, Paul simply is saying, "I boast in a couple things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I boast in the I boast in the Lord." Period. And uh, and he keeps it simple, sincere, and grace filled. And he so he mentions those things because he also says, "I boast in." Wherever the Lord is at work, I boast in the Lord at work there. So as a result, I'm boasting in you guys at Corinth.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: saying, thank God. I can see the work of God in you. Yeah. Can you see the work of God in me? And right. so um, God's worked in me. God's worked in you. So I'll boast in both of us. But we're all just boasting in the Lord. I'm not adding anything new. Mm-hmm. We don't need to try to figure things out or mix with the temple worship there. We need to stop dividing. Let's boast in each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then he's kind of dealing with like just the practical stuff of travel and what's going on, and so he's he's clearly responding to another letter and saying, right. "Hey, I really did want to visit you guys after that first letter I had to, or that last letter I had to send to you." Yeah. Um, it just wasn't in God's plan. Like I wasn't, I wasn't like being like I'm not flip flopping or
1: vacillating waiting. on my opinion.
0: Yeah, he's like, "No, I really did want to visit you." But I feel like it's turned out for the best that I didn't visit you when I was planning on, because that's given you time to repent, hear the words that I've said to you, receive them, and act on them. So now when I visit you, we can just have a, have a great time instead of coming and having to be like, Did you guys hear me in that letter? Yeah. All right, it's time for your spankings.
1: <laughs> okay, did you share? Yeah. Did you catch the um, thing about always yes? Mm-hmm. He says it's always yes. And I realized he was being accused. Part of that, Paul says he's going to come, he's going to not come. Mm-hmm. He's real bold in his letters, but in real life, he's like very loving. Yes. Which is so funny because everyone thinks Paul is harsh. But in person, Paul is just this humble guy who's keeping the main thing the main thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's where I realized this yes. And I had to read it a couple times because Paul is saying um, there is no yes and no. I'm not saying yes, and I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I don't do it. Right. My whole thing is Christ crucified mm-hmm. and resurrected. It, my whole thing is Jesus Christ is the reconciliation for the world and the forgiveness for the world. So that's why he goes, it's always yes. I'm always bringing you yes. It's not changing. Mm-hmm. That Jesus Christ is saying, yes, you can be reconciled, and yes, you are forgiven, mm-hmm. and that's all I'm doing.
0: Yeah.
1: I had... Um, yes. Yes, Adam, I know. But then he goes uh, in verse twenty-two. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed up, anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I like that because he's he's saying we are all together. I'm working with you. I'm not mm-hmm. for you. I'm not your daddy. Yeah. Like we're all sealed with the Holy Spirit in this. Again, it's the Spirit of unity. Only mm-hmm. this time, it's on the side of of grace,
0: right? And he's um, like, "I'm united with you," uh, and so he kind of gets into this conversation about dealing with some of the stuff he. Uh, we can presume that he was talking about the previous letter. Uh, some other people might argue that there was another letter uh, in between these, but
1: so to I mean, remind everybody, the, the letter w- he might be referring to is the the young man. Yeah, um,
0: first Corinthians and the young man who was sleeping with his stepmother. Yeah. And uh, how he told them, okay, you got to remove him from the church. And because you can't be proud, like, don't be proud about this development and being like, yeah, look at this. We're so free. He's like, right. No, 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 no. That's Stop. not freedom. That's not freedom. You're not, that's not how you be a new person. Right. Uh, Uh, get rid of him give him a moment to repent rebuke him so he can actually repent and so now he's saying okay cool it sounds like you did that and now it sounds like he has repented so do not delay in bringing him back into the assembly yeah because we want to be united in this and the reason you kicked him out the reason you rebuked him was to give him a chance to repent and now now that he has bring him back in right
1: and, and like leading up this too, Paul's like, Do you guys think I want you? It's not to my joy that you're sad. Oh, yeah. I don't want you to be mad. I want, I love you guys. I mean, he straight up just says, um, You know the abundant love that I have for you. Yeah. And so it is kind of cool to read um, offer him. We don't want to make a believer, one of our own, mm-hmm. have excessive sorrow about a sin. Right. He's been confronted. Now uh, bring him back in so that he might receive the grace. And I just remember. Um, when I was in school, that one of our friends started dating and fornicating or something. And then when we're all, we were in seminary. And um, so all the group of friends, I at the time was having babies in my own life. So I didn't really care. And he's just a dude I sat yeah. next to in class.
0: Yeah.
1: And he wasn't asking me, didn't want to know what I thought. But then other guys were coming to me saying, we need to get him out of his, his, this uh, sin. And He's helping out with a youth group at a church, and we need to expose that. And they used the, the verses from 1 Corinthians. Right. And they were talking to me about it. I'm like, talk to him about it if you care so much. Right. And it was just funny because at the time, I, I did struggle with, oh, I'm supposed to rebuke him. and But then I remember reading this part going, oh, wait, when you read all of Corinthians, mm-hmm. you realize the goal is to comfort the sinner yeah. and bring him back. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the whole deal with, um, I don't know, discipline. Mm-hmm. It's the, the goal is not for punishment, and it's not to make a person perfect. It's to offer forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. That's the whole goal of punishment. Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I like that. He also says something about when one person is hurt, we're all hurt. Like, we're all together in this. Comfort the sinner. And don't be outwitted by Satan. Did you catch that?
0: Mm-hmm. I did. He
1: goes... We are not ignorant of his designs.
0: Yeah, so for me, yeah. it's dealing with, like, uh, legalism. Yes,
1: 100%. That is his design. Is legalistic. It's so, to drive out the gospel and keep it only law.
0: Uh, I forget where I've read this, but...
1: You read other things? Yeah. I thought you just read the Bible. I know.
0: <laughs> I know. I don't know where I find the time. Um, But someone described Satan as a... Uh, a voracious lawyer. Yeah, I did. Maybe.
1: He's the accuser. Yeah. he's He is the um, defense attorney. I mean, he's the accusing attorney.
0: Like, yeah, no, yeah,
1: yeah. All he does is have evidence for why you don't yeah. deserve God's blessing, God's presence, and how you've thrown away God's inheritance. And he has proof to back
0: it up. And so when we overuse discipline, like yeah. when we use discipline for the the end mm-hmm. is to punish and make a person feel bad or yeah like you're gonna pay for your mistakes that's where satan can step in and be like sweet this is exactly where i want to be because um, mm-hmm. i'm having to pay for my mistakes and i want to make sure everyone else does right. and whereas discipline for us should be the end of that should be to lead to repentance forgiveness and restoration right
1: and, and the comfort is you don't have to be perfect you put yourself in a position of looking to the Lord always because that's where the comfort is. And repentance is the way to receive comfort, the way To re- the way to receive the gospel.
0: Yeah,
1: It is interesting though, like that the devil uses a legalistic approach to discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we all have to balance in our own lives. Like there's times we get too wrapped up in being the police. And then there's other times where I feel like maybe, at least in the general culture of Christianity, at least my circles, we are more um, enabling parents instead yes. of disciplinary. We're more friends than we are parents. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the deck of life is always shifting. You know, It calls for momentary synchronicity, Matt. You run Ooh. this way, you run too far to this side, it starts going, oh, now we're just disciplining or this way, now we're just enabling. And so you got to have a little bit of law and a little bit of gospel. But um, I don't know. I had uh, this kind of idea, I wrote down, that God's love and grace not only sustain us, but they are the solid ground from which we begin again. That's the whole idea. Nice. So when we confront people, it's we're confronted with his love and grace, and
0: we begin again. Cool. Cool. Our song for today is Psalm chapter 103 through verses 13 and 22. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
1: been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.